When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest is a speaker, author, entrepreneur, and founder of the New Wealth Order, Gerald DuBose. Hey, what you drink? What would you say might be a couple of concepts that people might think is not important, but your experience shows that it really is important? I'll give you, I'll give you an example just out of what I've heard you say. It, it would be so easy for new managers to say it really has to be a separation between business And uh, I'm not going to ask you about what you did at home because I don't care what you did at home. I only care about what you're doing at work. And therefore, it's a waste of my time to get to know you personally. And it sounds to me like your life has shown that that's really not true. You've got to be personally invested. They've got to be personally invested in you. What are some examples of other things that managers might be tempted to pass off as not being important? Well, I would say one thing they would pass off as not being important would be the development, consistent development of your employees. And I'm talking about on the personal development level for what what it is they want to do and how it is they want to be in the future. Because I think a lot of managers have the concept of they want to keep their job. If I make you too good, you may take my job. That has hindered good managers from becoming great managers because they're afraid of being passed up. But um, there is no success without a successor. If you are not creating leaders, if you are not creating people that may one day be able to take your job, then you have underserved them in the capacity of leadership as a manager. I would say development of your people consistently. What are their goals? Talk to them about what it is they want to achieve this year. What is it that they're trying to do? How do they want their career to look in the next two years, three years? Where do you want to be? Don't pigeonhole them. Instead, propel them. And I think it would be a different situation. Wow. I I would agree with that. As I think back over my career, uh, I can think of three managers in particular. Uh, one, I talk about every episode. He just passed away this past December, but all three of them in common, they were always encouraging me to think beyond beyond the position that I was in, but even beyond the next position. Even before I knew 
who Stephen Covey was, they were like, let's begin with the end in mind. Where would you ultimately like to be in your career? And let's work backwards to make sure that you're getting the experiences and that you're preparing in the right way to ultimately be there. And as I think back, that was one of the things that really caused me, you know, in my conversation with Dr. Russ, he talked about psychological safety being important. And that was the thing that created a lot of psychological safety for me with those leaders that I really believe that they had my best interest at heart. And that required that I deliver results. I mean, I had to deliver results <laughs> of course. in the short term, right? If you don't take care of the short term, there's no long term to be concerned about. But their eyes were always on and they were always causing me and forcing me to look down the road and have those experiences that would prepare me for my ultimate, my ultimate opportunities. So I think you're absolutely right. Well, I'll tell you one of the things, man, that you've done that I got a big dose of a, a few years back. And I'll tell you, I poo-pooed it. I, I thought it was a whole lot easier to be an entrepreneur than it actually was. I mean, I, I mean, I, I had this long storied corporate career. You know, I had this high, highly regarded MBA degree. But boy, there's something about when you write the check. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I don't care how big that check is. When you write that check, it does something to you. That mean that's who you are. You are an entrepreneur in every sense of the word. What are some of the things that you found that people like myself who leave corporate America and think that, you know, I'll just cut a check and and I'll start my own business. What do you, what have you found that we typically miss? What do we underestimate or or maybe don't appreciate fully? Well, I think one thing that people don't appreciate fully, first of all, is the the opportunity that is there. I'll expound on that. Most of us cry that we want our freedom. We want to be able to create. We want to be able to do these things. But when most people, I always jokingly tell people like, you know why they call it freedom? Because once you free, you feel dumb as I don't know what. Like, what do I do now? (laughs) I want to be free, but what do I do now? So just understanding that the opportunity to create something, which is what we are born to do. I feel like that is everyone's purpose. And I'm not saying everyone's purpose is to be an entrepreneur. I'm saying everyone's purpose felt like that's a word that has been pimped far too long. That our word, that word purpose, we all have the same purpose. How we live it is different. We all born to do two things, born to create and to serve. Now, what you're supposed to create and whom you're supposed to serve is what you spend most of your life trying to figure out. (laughs) So (laughs) when you get that opportunity to actually you are now the creator, you can now do what it is you want to do. The first thing I would say is. Revel in the opportunity to create, be creative. Don't think anything is too far, right? And then start to analyze how do you make that happen? And once you get into that space, that creative space, and then take that and then analyze it, you can start to plan and strategize a lot better because I know The two P words that people pimp all the time is purpose and passion, purpose and passion. You hear those two words so much, it drives you crazy. I will tell every aspiring business owner who listens to this podcast, this, 
I don't care how big a check you cut. Nobody's going to help you find your purpose. <laughs> okay. They ain't going to help you find it. They ain't going to help you find the passion either. Okay. So if that's what they're selling, don't buy that program. However, passion is confused as the main thing. That is, I think, something that's very important for people to hear, too. Passion is often confused as the main thing. Oh, if you're passionate about it, there are plenty of people passionate about things that they are terrible at, but they have a passion for it. Heck, my sister has a passion for singing, but she can't sing. (laughs) Doesn't matter how much passion she has. It will never be her career. Passion is the fuel to drive you further. So look at what your gifts are. I always talk about this. Look at what your gifts are. What are the things that you are innately born with, right? Things that you do better than everybody else around you. Things that other people say, wow, you know what? You're really good at that. Guess what? That's a red light. You want to find your gift? Look at what people tell you you're good at. And then underpin that with the skills. We've grown up in a society where they put skills first above the gift. And the skills are never meant to overtake the gift. They're meant to underpin the gift. If the skills overtake the gift, you find yourself in a market where you're competing against people that it's going to be hard. You're stuck in the middle. If you market your gift and utilize the skills, then take the passion and the love for the people that you want to help, for the things you want to achieve, for what you want to see for your future generations. It's easier to start to construct a life that looks completely different than most of the people around you. How important is sales? Because there there are a lot of people who would say sales is a department. You know, I'm not in sales. I'm a marketing person. I'm not in sales. I'm an operations person. I, I was in sales earlier in my career, but now I'm a senior executive. How, how important is sales? Sales is the lifeline of your business. If you have no sales, You have no business, people. So you can call yourself what you want. You can be the CEO, whether that's the actual chief executive officer or if it's the chief everything officer. You have to sell to have a business. Point blank. Sales is sales is vital because if you don't make sales, you can't. There's no company. There's nothing to sustain. There's nothing to grow. It is literally the water to nurturing and cultivating the business. I, I used to say it like this, nobody eats unless somebody kills something. You know, and I got nervous because, you know, it was several of my friends are vegetarians. And I'm like, okay, you gotta kill a plant. You gotta kill something. If we gonna eat, somebody has to kill something. And that's what selling is. You know, I'm not necessarily saying, and I'm certainly not a fan of the high pressure, convince, persuade, move people into things that aren't good for them. I'm actually not in favor of that at all, but I've built my entire career on trying to figure out what my customer is trying to do and then determine how can I help them do that with the products and services that I have at my disposal. And when you do that, that way, you will always have a customer. I uh, saw a report that said that the number one attribute that customers, really almost anyone, but customers in particular, look for in a salesperson is the ability to give them space to think differently about about their problems. If every time you call me in as your sales rep, 
I'm giving you space to think differently about your problems. You're going to call me in every time you've got a problem. And, you know, it's going to be my responsibility to demonstrate how, you know, my products, my services can help you, mm-hmm. right? Can be that solution. But if, if I'm asking you the questions to help you think differently about the problems that you're facing, that's really the name of the game. So where do you advise that people start if they say, okay, Gerald, I understand the importance of sales, but I'm just, I'm not good at it. I'm just not a very convincing, persuading, high pressure type person. I don't have the charisma that you have. Where where, where would you tell those people to start? Well, the first thing I, I would tell them is that they need to take a different perspective. Are they open to hearing a different perspective on that, right? I always say that sales is really just about a conversation about connecting people to solutions to their problems. So if you stop thinking of it as, hey, I'm trying to push you into something you don't need versus I'm trying to help you get exactly what you need, it's a different feeling. Most people hate sales because of the perception and their perspective of what sales is. I talk a lot about those two things, that perception and perspective are the key drivers in everything in our life. You know, perception is how we define something. What did the event mean or what does this word mean to us? Right. That is your perception of this thing. Your perspective is your view or your angle of which you are looking at this thing. Right. So if people come at it from a perspective of, hey, I'm trying to help you get to a solution to solve your problem, then you feel better. Everybody likes to help people. Why do we give people directions that we don't know? Why do we pull over if we see somebody broke down on the side of the road and we don't know who they are? They're out there trying to change a tire or push a car through a light. And we get out and we jump and start pushing because we naturally have an inclination to want to help other human beings. So if you look at it as though you are actually helping someone, not selling them, but helping them get the solution that they need to their problem. It automatically takes that pressure hat off of you because you can't think that way because sales is really a conversation. It's not about a pushy situation. So if we have sales conversations versus sales presentations that starts to change. Right. And then we say, OK, if sales means to me, that I have helped X amount of people. So we change the perception. I've helped this many people. So versus saying, how many deals did you close this week? How many people have you helped this week? People feel differently. Mm -hmm. So I try to help them change their perspective and that perception. And it automatically makes them more open to having conversations about the thing that they do and that they're the greatest in the world, as you like to say. And how that can help this person benefit from them being the greatest thing in this world at that thing. But keep integrity when you're doing it, because if you can't help them, I promise you, the people that you tell, like, look, you know what? I see what you are trying to do, but that is not what I really do. Here's a referral to somebody or or if you can't help them and you don't know anybody, say, look, I have a friend that I'm going to call that may be able to plug me into somebody still try to assist that person. They become your biggest sources of referrals. I promise you, 
not your past clients. Nobody will refer you like someone that you actually said, I can't help you through my service and or product, but here's someone who can. And even that is helping, right? You're, exactly. you're saying the best way for me to help you, the best thing for me to do right now is to refer you to Mark because Mark is better able to do the kinds of things that you are saying that you're trying to do that you really need. And you're still in service to them. That's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Sounds like you're talking a lot about, if I just connect back to all of the conversations we've had already, you're talking about mindset. How important is mindset? Well, I, I'll clarify that. I talk about heart set more than mindset, right? Okay. Uh, I love it. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. So the things that are the emotional factors within us, right? Because emotions drive decision. Emotions make us take action. So what I mainly focus on and work towards having people focus on is, okay, what is creating that emotion? What is creating this angst that this person is having? So even in that sales conversation, okay, what is the real cause of your angst? What, whatever it is, what are we selling? If you're selling a car, hey, I just need to get around. Okay, well, you can get around on the bus. Why do you need a car? Well, it's because of certain places I can't get to without a car. Where is that that you would like to go that you can't get to without a car? And really drill down to what it is. A lot of times it's the feeling of freedom for them. Okay, great. So if you can address that feeling for them, and help them get that feeling by providing them the right kind of vehicle in the right kind of price range, that person will be over the moon for you and on your behalf after that, because you help them get the feeling that they want. Everything that we do is really, we're chasing a feeling. It's either to get pleasure or avoid pain. 95% of us live a life trying to avoid pain, not really trying to find the pleasure. If we start to understand that dynamic, because I, I tell people it takes too long for me to change your mindset. That's why I got into coaching. And I know that's why you do emotional intelligence, brother, because I don't have time to go through all that stuff in your head. You have over 100,000 thoughts a day. How do I think my voice is going to stop you from thinking those thoughts right now? But what I can do is understand that emotion that you're going through right now. What is the cause of that? What's making that happen for you right now? And is that, is it a pain thing? How are you defining that emotion? Are you angry? Are you pissed off? Are you, are you flippant? Are you any of those things? Once I can anchor to that emotion, I can change the emotion and I can change your action now. If I start messing with your mindset, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not trying to keep you here for the next three years. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Your heart set, not your mindset, your heart set. You remind me of another adage that I've used for years, and that is that people buy based on emotion and then they justify with facts. If you can understand the emotion that's driving the decision, they're going to find all the facts to substantiate this thing that they really want to do. But it's your job to tap into that emotion and to help them do what they're trying to do, as opposed to trying to convince and persuade. Um, because even when you are successful with convincing and persuading, it's only short-lived. Buyer's remorse. As soon as they have 15 <laughs> minutes and someone asks them, so why did you get that? Why'd you get that model? Right? And they can't answer it to your point. Now they've got buyer's remorse. Not only are they not going to refer you, 
refer business to you, they're probably going to curse your name every time they drive by the, the car lot. Exactly. I think it's so important that we start to properly look at, you know, the emotional parts of decision and to talk more to that point. Uh, I mean, again, just because, as I said, how many thoughts do we have a day? Far too many to count. But typically people go through, if you ask them what emotions they're having, they can name 12. They can name 100,000 thoughts, but they can't name more than 12 emotions. So if we can start to understand those 12 things, why well, I'm going to fight 100,000 times 14 since I've seen you. So you had over a million thoughts. Nah, I don't have to fight that. Let me fight these 12 things. <laughs> and let's see where you are on that scale. And let's help you navigate through that so that you can take an action today that makes you feel better for tomorrow. I love it. I love it. All right. So help, help me with this. Help me with this connection because I've called this podcast Whiskey Jazz and Leadership. And I know that you, you're into music as well. So help me understand the connection. Help me articulate the connection between jazz as a metaphor for life and for business and for leadership. Because although I love both literally, I also love them as metaphors for each other. So I, I just would love to get your take. Okay, jazz as a metaphor for leadership. I would say that the nuances and the intricacies, the way jazz is strung together and to get them to harmoniously different parts and flows in the music, whether it's the horns along with the sax that, and the way the sax plays just slightly above the piano and it all sounds like one harmonious thing is really the epicenter of what we are trying to create in leadership. We are trying to get all these different pieces and different people that play a part in helping the world be better because this business exists to harmoniously do that thing so that the world hears a beautiful sound whenever this business shows up. That's how I would correlate jazz to leadership. That, that works for me. That works for me. I'll tell you another thing that you just, you just slipped in there and I, I want to highlight it. You said something to the tune of to highlight why this business exists. And so many times people don't think about that and they think, well, this business exists to make money. That can't be your purpose. That can't be it the can reason be. why this business exists, right? So talk a little bit more about why that's important. Why is it important to understand why your business exists beyond making money? Well, first of all, that's how you separate yourself. That is the major part of your story, okay? Because there are a thousand people that sell the widget or the gadget or coach, Lord knows, here coach, there coach, everywhere coach, coach, right? So why you, why now? Your personal story evolves into what your business story becomes. And that business story is what separates you from everybody else that's doing the exact same thing. So IBM and Dell, well, IBM doesn't make as many computers now, but they still make a few. They do the same thing. But you have a different feeling when you say the word Dell than you do when you say the word IBM. Why? It's because of the story that you have been told about them. It's because of the marketing that they have put before you. It's because of the branding that they have put before you. 
Why is it when you say the word Harley Davidson, the people that like motorcycles, even the people that don't, that people go, oh, yeah, Harley, because your story, the story that they tell separates them from every other motorcycle brand on the road. If you just hear the word Harley, if you hear the way the Harley comes, you're like, oh, that's a Harley for sure. So it's important to understand that why your business exists gives so much more credence to making money. And it does that because that is why people will vote and say, you know what? I align with this brand because of who they are. People buy Tom's shoes because of what Tom does. They love the cause of what he's doing. People align with Apple because they loved what Steve Jobs had presented. So that story that you're telling about why in the world is this company here is going to be the driving factor to not only get you the clients you want, but it will get you the advocates that you never knew you needed. Mm. Oh my gosh. I love that. Say that one more time. It's not about the clients, just the clients you want. It's about the advocates. Why are advocates important? Advocates are important because they are your best marketing that you can ever get. And here's the thing, everybody, we're all advocates. Every one of us are advocating for something or someone that we may have never even met. I love Marvel Comics. Before the Marvel Cinematic Universe existed, I still loved Marvel Comics. And every time I see a movie, whether I love it or I hate it, like, yo, you got to go see this movie and you will tell people about it with such enthusiasm because it's part of you. It's something that you identify with. And that's why advocates are so important. The same way you rave about a restaurant, the same way you rave about that car, the same way you rave about that fragrance, the watch, the whiskey, the apple juice. We are all advocates. So if you don't have people that you don't know willing to just speak up on your behalf, then you have to think about how you're telling the story about what you do. Man, I love it. I love it. Dude, you you never fail to cause me to think differently about the world. Every time you and I have come into contact with one another, whether it's just a, a phone call uh, while I'm driving through Arizona or driving through Memphis, and I get a call from Gerald talking about whatever it is that you're working on, you cause me to think differently about the world. And uh, you know, I just, I wanna thank you for that. I wanna thank you for holding that space, not only for me, but for so many other people. Because like I said, you, you and I met on an audio only. Well, not audio was, only, it actually, was video and audio. It was video and That was and what audio. made us so special. That was, it was, yeah, Blab. And talk about advocates. Everyone who was on Blab, I think that was what, like seven years ago? Yes. Everyone who was on Blab all lament on not having Blab anymore because it was one of those places where anyone can fake it for 15 minutes, but it becomes really, really hard to fake for an hour and a half for five days, <laughs> for, you know, three or four weeks in a row. <laughs> With the same people in the audience, right? That story gets old pretty quick. And you get to tell who really, really understands what they're talking about. 
and or who's willing to say, hey, look, hey, look, Gerald, I, I don't really understand this thing that you're talking about. Could you explain it to me to have that kind of vulnerability to just be real with people? That's how you and I met. And I just really, really appreciate uh, what we've been able to build as a as a friendship because of that. I, I would even akin it to a brotherhood. I, I've always called Galen like my brother. You know, I always jokingly call him smooth talk radio. Y'all hear the voice. You know, he sounds like he could be a late night radio DJ. <laughs> but uh, the special thing about Blab, and I, I will just give it just my credence to Blab, was that, as you said, it was there was no dress rehearsal. And for people like Clubhouse is cool. I went on there. It's OK. It's not Blab. What I'm saying to you all is that Blab was like live TV, but worldwide. So if you turned on your camera in a room, anybody from anywhere in the world could pop in and you could be talking about anything. And you did not know who this person was about to come in on camera and ask you this question. I mean, there were some heavy hitters that came on there. Tony Robbins came on Blab, plenty of heavy hitters. So you don't know who's about to pop in there and ask you a question. So you had better know what you're talking about because it was people that really were doing what you're talking about. And if you were bluffing, as Galen said, oh, your bluff would get called a thousand percent in front of the world. <laughs> in front of the world. Well, hey, man, I, I feel like uh, our friendship has been tested because of that. And I just, again, I, I want to thank you for Coming onto this podcast, it would not have been the same uh, without having you here. So I want to, I want to thank you and raise your glass. We're gonna toast, toast yes, out. Until next time, man. I really, really appreciate you and everything that you brought to the audience. Well, thank you for having me, brother. This this was a phenomenal conversation, and it went super fast as it always does. And I want to thank you for showing up and being who you are, brother. I mean. The things that you bring with the class and heart that you do is going to change a lot of lives. So thank you for showing up and for being the best of the world at being you. I receive that, man. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.